Well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We really are so glad that all of you decided to show up here today. Give us about an hour of your week, particularly if this is your first time with us. We want to extend you a very special welcome because, listen, we totally understand that even well into adulthood, it can feel a little intimidating to step into a new place. And so we're really glad that you would take that risk and uh, spend some of your week here with us. As you probably figured out today, again, as we've already been mentioning, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit on this subject of of teachability and what it really means to, to be a teachable person. What we're doing in the series is we're unpacking these five specific values uh, that we as a church want to be really, really intentional about chasing after. When we say church, we're not talking about a building. We're talking about a community of people. And what we've noticed since we've started this church is that there's this relatively small group of people that show up here on a very consistent basis that have like this next level type of commitment to this church. And, And we've noticed that these people really without even trying, like Amanda, they just kind of embrace these values. They're just kind of a part of their life, and we've said, man, we want to be more like those people. And even though there there truthfully are more differences than similarities among this group of people, if you've been hearing me talk here over this series, you've noticed that there's always this one common denominator, and that's that Jesus has transformed their lives. See, See, these people are able to look into the not-so-distant past and see what life was like without Jesus, and then they can then compare that with present-day life with Jesus, and they see, frankly, how much better their lives are now. And this is, in fact, why we want every single one of you to eventually get to this point, because Jesus will make your life better. He, He will make the lives around you better. He will make you better at life. And so these five values that we think that you would be really wise to chase after, whether you call yourself a Jesus, Jesus follower or not, whether you necessarily embrace every single thing that we're talking about here on Sunday mornings yet, we think that you would be wise to chase after these values because, again, these are things that will create exclusively positive effects in our lives. And so those five values are assume the best, celebrate creativity. We talked last week about making it better. This week we're on to always be teachable, and then we will wrap this series up by talking about give it up. And so if you haven't been here for the first three weeks of this series, I'd really challenge you to go online, go to grumlaw.com messages. Catch yourself up there, listen to the messages, watch the messages, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever you grab your podcast. Again, I, I really begged all of you last week, it's the summer. We get that it's hard to be here every single week, but don't let this be like this three-month hiatus from church and from God where you get to September and you're like, oh yeah, we used to go to that place every once in a while. Not so much anymore. With technology the way that it is now, it's so easy to stay plugged in, so make sure you're taking advantage of all those resources. So yeah, have any of you ever been a part of an environment, maybe it's been at work, Maybe it's been at school, could certainly be around friends, could certainly be around, around family where, where there was a Dwight. And if you don't watch the show, Dwight's the guy with the big glasses that eventually cut the face off of the dummy. Uh, I'm talking about that person that just seems to know everything. And because that person is so smug and because that person is so matter of fact and because that person is so arrogant, nobody really cares about what they have to say anymore. I mean, even in those situations where they are actually right, where they do actually know what they're talking about, nobody listens to them because you have grown so tired of the arrogant charade. Some of you are thinking, yeah, you're actually describing my spouse. Just kidding, not so much. Uh, about, a, about a month before we started this church, um, I, uh, I was, somebody reached out to me, he was a pastor actually in this area, and uh, he said, hey, you know, in the email, he's just like, hey, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what God's laid on your heart, the vision for this church, and I uh, would also like to give you kind of some advice, because he's like, I've been a pastor in this area for a while, and I uh, might be able to teach you a thing or two, and uh, I honestly admire directness, I, I like that in people when they just like 
cut right to it. And I was like, heck yeah, I would love to sit down with you. And so we set the date, we set the place. And, uh, you know, I get to this restaurant, we, we, we get our food and almost immediately there's like no small talk at all. And again, I, I like that. And he just starts grilling me with questions. And he's asking me questions all over the place. What's your kids program going to look like? How are you going to put together your teaching schedule? Uh, how do you prepare for your sermons? I mean, he's asking like every little intricate detail, but about 10 minutes into the conversation, I figured out, oh, it's one of these conversations. Because we, we met that day for about two hours, uh, and I would say I maybe talked 10 minutes of those two hours. He, he was good for about an hour and 50 minutes, and it was one of those conversations where the person asks you the question, and, and like no sooner are the words coming out of your mouth and they immediately cut you off, and then they give you the advice on the subject, and you quickly figure out, oh, you didn't actually want to know my answer. You just wanted to kind of find a creative way to get to that point so that you could tell me what you thought about it. And by the end of the meal, uh, well, really at about the 15-minute mark, I was ready to gouge my eyes out. Uh, by the end of two hours, I was really ready to get the heck out of there. And I would guarantee that just about every single one of us have stories like that, interactions or, or environments with certain people that we, again, almost immediately tune out because, the because of how arrogant they are, because of the know-it-allness, because of all of that. It's so intoxicating. And it's really easy to look back on those interactions and think to ourselves, what is wrong with him? I mean, seriously, what is wrong with her? How does somebody even get to that point? How did that person's ego get so big? How did that person become such a know-it-all? But, but let me flip this for a second and, and ask you something that you don't really have to be honest with anybody else about. I'm not going to ask you to admit this to the person to the left, the person to your right, but um, haven't you been that know-it-all? And, and before you're quick to say, no, not me, never. I mean, maybe back when I was like in high school, but, but certainly not any time recently. Haven't you had those interactions with somebody and you're just trying to help them out? And that person was just such an idiot because they would not listen to you. I mean, how dare that person not heed your brilliant advice? In fact, hasn't the very arrogance that irritated you in one moment, like me with this other pastor, almost immediately rubbed off onto you? Where you were walking away, where you were driving away, where you were reflecting on that conversation, thinking, my goodness, that person has zero self-awareness. What's wrong with him? What is wrong with her? That person is such a fool. The very thing, in fact, that drove you nuts just moments earlier is now the thing that you are proudly toting around, telling your friends and telling your coworkers, telling your spouse, basically telling anybody that will listen, anyone that has ears about that interaction. In fact, you're having all these internal conversations in your head with that person. And let's be honest, arrogantly thinking that you are somehow better than that person. That you certainly know more than him, that you certainly know more than her, because obviously they don't know what they're talking about, but you, of course, you do. Maybe I'm way off base with this, but I don't think so. I think this, in fact, actually happens far more often than we would like to admit. Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I drove away that day after, again, spending that two hours with that other gentleman, thinking, my word, that guy is such an idiot. He does not know what he's talking about. I'm never going to listen to someone like that. I was literally thinking that day, I should have asked him to breakfast. I should have been giving him advice. Your ugliest characteristics look the worst on other people. The, the things that you struggle with the most, the, the, the things that you wrestle with the most, look the ugliest on other people. Our biggest flaws, 
our most obvious and glaring sins, and some of us don't like to use that word because you know it just bears so much weight, but the sins that we struggle with the most look the most obvious, look the most glaring, look the worst, look the ugliest on other people. And I think that you would be hard-pressed to find an area where this rings more true than as it relates to this fourth value that we're talking about today of always be teachable. Because, come on, it's ugly. And this is one of those things that is so hard to admit about ourselves, but deep down, we all know that this is true. None of us like being wrong. I've been on this earth for 32 years. I have never met the person that's like, you know what? I just really enjoy being wrong. We don't like readily admitting to the world that we don't have everything figured out. In fact, we love putting up the front that we know it all, that, that, that we don't have anything to learn. Being teachable, admitting that we need help, admitting that we have more to learn goes against Every, and I'm not saying this as an exaggeration, it goes against every natural inclination that we are born with and that our world continues to reinforce. And so in one sense this morning, I want to actually affirm in you that it makes sense that this drives you nuts in other people. That This is something that we all, Christian or not, young or old, we can't stand in other people. But remember, the reason that it universally irritates us is because the things that irritate us the most are the very things that we struggle with as well. Let me give you another example of this. I've been pretty forthright about this since we started this church. One of my biggest struggles in life um, has been exaggerating. Uh, I developed a horrible habit that really wasn't pointed out to me until I got into college that, that pretty much everything that came out of my mouth, whenever I was with a group of people, every time I told a story, I, I was always exaggerating a little bit. I, I was always embellishing the story just a little bit to make it more, sound more appealing, to make myself look better. And then finally somebody pointed this out in my life and my, I was like, my goodness, I am a liar. I do this way, way more often than I think. Now, fast forward to present day and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to look at all of you and say, man, this, this is something that I have cut way down on. In fact, it's something that very rarely kind of rears its ugly head at this point in my life. Unfortunately, it still does every once in a while. I would love to tell you that I've, I've completely conquered it, but I've certainly got a lot better. But now, there are few things in my life in present day that irritate me more than when I'm having a conversation with somebody and I know that they're exaggerating. I mean, it drives me nuts. I'm like, why wouldn't you just tell me the truth? I know you're lying. I know you are full of it right now. I know that what you told me was only like a half truth. And there will be times literally where my wife and I will be you know, driving away or we'll be you know, laying in bed that night and I'll be sitting there and literally fuming about it. Because I know that that couple that we had dinner with, or I know that that person that we had sat down with wasn't 100% truthful. And I'll look at my wife and be like, isn't this irritating you as well? I mean, doesn't this drive you nuts? And she looks at me like, no, I don't really care. I mean, yeah, I I wish they would have been totally honest, but it, it doesn't really bother me because it was never something that she struggled with. An unteachable spirit universally aggravates us because every single one of us are born with an unteachable spirit. Or I could say it in a far simpler way. Pride is easy. Humility is hard. And this, if you haven't caught on yet by this point of the series, is really what's at the core of every single one of these values. It's asking yourself the question, am I willing to lay my pride to the side and in turn practice humility? All of these values would in fact come quite naturally and quite easy to us if we could just solve this pride issue. But it's one of those things that's far easier to talk about than actually do. We're going to look at a story, and this is a true story, uh, this morning that we find in the book of Acts. 
Acts. Uh, Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. New Testament's kind of the second half of the Bible. It immediately precedes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, which document Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, Acts, in large part, documents the rise of the early Christian church, this movement that we now refer to as Christianity. Uh, and this is one of those details within the book of Acts that, that if you're skeptical of Christianity, uh, if you're just kind of on the fence about this whole thing, you have to pay attention to details like this. In Acts chapter 8, where we're going to be jumping into today, um, the, 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 the church, the early Christian first century church, has just experienced a, this, this great wave of persecution. And like persecution in every other instance that we have in the history of the world, persecution usually at least stifles a movement. Oftentimes, it just completely eliminates and eradicates the movement from the face of the earth. But here, God took the very thing that was supposed to, again, destroy Christianity and used it to spread Christianity to the ends of the ancient world because God knew what, in fact, we all actually know, that we gravitate towards what is really comfortable, that, that, that we, would much more, we would much rather do the comfortable things than the things that kind of like make our skin crawl. And so God knew that the Christians in large part were just going to hang out in and around Jerusalem. And so this persecution happens and now the Christians know that they're going to be sitting ducks. And it forces them to spread out across all of much of the ancient world. And in turn forces these people to tell other people about Jesus who previously would have never heard about them before. Persecution was one of the greatest things that happened to the early Christian church. And Philip, one of the guys that actually spent every waking moment with Jesus when he was here on earth, he was one of the 12 disciples, he is also one of the people that was forced to spread and go tell this message and communicate the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And this is where we pick up this story here with Philip and this interaction that he has with this one particular gentleman. It says here in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Now, this is worth pointing out here. We, we, we literally could spend an entire series just on this verse and a half, and we don't have time to really unpack the whole thing, but this is at least worth mentioning. So, some of you that, that are sitting here today, you're so frustrated with God. You, you don't feel like God's listening to you. You, you certainly don't, don't feel like God's using you. you. You will literally cry out to God, where are you? And, and let me propose that maybe the reason that you're not seeing God move in your life is because you're not teachable. You're unwilling to take even the smallest steps of obedience. This is simple what we see here, but yet quite profound. Philip right here hears, he's prompt, he's nudged, and he immediately goes. There's no hesitation whatsoever. So often we think that our faith is gonna be built on these huge, almost life-altering moments, and it's not how it works. Our faith is built little by little. It's built by taking these small, seemingly tiny steps of obedience when God prompts, when God nudges. And slowly but surely, your faith begins to grow. And as your faith grows, then your trust in God grows. And then the next time that you're nudged, that you're prompt, that you kind of hear that still voice in the back of your mind that you used to in the past be really, really quick to dismiss, that you used to think to yourself, I mean, what is that? Then my conscience, like, is that just kind of something that I'm feeling and, and usually just throw to the side? Now you actually act on it. You're quick to act on it because you saw God's faithfulness come through the last time, but you have to practice obedience. You have to practice being teachable. And, and what we get to see here today with this particular occasion with Philip is that because he was teachable, 
Because Philip was willing to be obedient, something pretty profound happens, and he did not know what was coming next. And you guys, again, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, this is kind of the idea of faith. Very rarely does God tell you what the light is at the end of the tunnel. Very rarely does he lay out the entire blueprint. Rarely does he give you the entire master plan. No, instead, he tells you to take a tiny, small step. And then we sit there early on in our faith and go, but, but, but what? But where's this leading? God, tell me more, tell me more. And he's like, no, 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 I just want you to trust me with that. That, that tiny little thing. And my goodness, when you take those steps of obedience, it is incredible what's often waiting for us on the other side of that seemingly small, tiny step. It says, so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. By the way, this is the same Isaiah that you can read for yourself. I mean, these are little details that like, I, I love looking back on. Like, you know, early on when I started reading scripture, I didn't pay attention to this kind of stuff. The very words that this guy was reading thousands of years ago are accessible to you. In fact, there are free Bibles there in the back. You can open up to the book of Isaiah, which we find in the Old Testament, and you can find the exact same words that this treasure from Ethiopia happened to be reading out of. Now, this is another one of those details that, that again, it's so easy to breeze past stories like this and, and not really give it a second thought. And in fact, it's easy to kind of question to yourself, like, why did they even include this stuff in Scripture? It just doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But I'm telling you, this was a big deal to Philip. All he was told to do was to go and head down this road. And all of a sudden, he sees this whole caravan he sees this carriage. I mean, it's kind of this great thing going on. And he's starting to go, oh, crud. All right, God, you might have something pretty special in store today. And as this guy gets closer, he recognizes that this is the treasurer of Ethiopia. You guys, this is a person that would have had enormous influence, a person of great power. And now Philip's kind of sitting there like, oh, my goodness, God, what do you have in store today? And then it says, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, again, that small, still voice that, that we often dismiss and we discredit and we don't think it's very significant. Oftentimes, it's literally, for you Jesus followers, this is God literally prompting you to do something. It's not just like something you ate the night before. So the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over. Again, he, he has no idea what's next. God hasn't laid out the big plan for him. He doesn't know where it's all leading, but he's teachable and he's humble and he's willing to take one more step. In fact, he's excited to take that next step because of how he has seen God work in his life time and time and time again. There is this eager anticipation when he is prompted, when God nudges him. So he doesn't just like kind of casually stroll over to this thing. I mean, he books it. He huffs it because he cannot wait to see how God is going to show off again. Philip ran over and heard the man reading aloud for the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, and again, think of how arrogant this question would have sounded. Do you understand what you're reading? Now, you guys, again, we don't think that's a big of a deal. But again, this person had great power and great influence. If you know anything about you know, people of power and influence back at this point in history, I mean, lesser things have gotten people in trouble. Do you understand what you're reading? A bold question to ask. Philip didn't know this treasurer. The treasurer certainly didn't know Philip, but Philip was risking coming across like a jerk, but watch instead how the treasurer, how the eunuch responds to him. 
The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. So this guy reciprocates what what he has just received from Philip. He's not offended. He he doesn't allow his pride to get in the way, but but he puts on humility. and, And he allows himself to be taught by a complete stranger. No easier back then, by the way, than it would have been today. Now, this is also worth pointing out, and I kind of breezed by this earlier. Uh, I recognize that in stories like this, sometimes we come across these things, and we're like, what's going on there? Like, it constantly refers to this guy as a eunuch, and you're like, what's, what's a eunuch? You can go ahead and Google that for yourself. Uh, it's a terrible, terrible thing. It involved a little little bit of surgery, but the reason that they would do this back then, I'm just explaining this because I remember being in like middle school, like, what's a eunuch? And the Sunday school teacher was like, and we're off. We're going to go to the next verse here. Uh, they, they did this, and again, a terrible practice, and there's obviously a reason why it doesn't happen today, because oftentimes eunuchs would serve under specific queens, in this case, under the queen of Ethiopia, and there would be no divided interest when that part of your body, when your sexuality is completely removed from you, that they did this so that they would be more devoted. Okay, that's just worth pointing out, nothing to do with our story, but some of you are going, what's up with that eunuch thing? Okay. This is how the story wraps up. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is Isaiah chapter 53. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. By the way, for those of you that are maybe skeptical again of this whole Christianity thing, you ought to read Isaiah chapter 53 and just ask yourself the question, who does it sound like it's talking about? This book was written a long, long time before Jesus ever stepped foot on earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet Isaiah talking about himself in that passage of scripture or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip apparently thought about this and said, I I can't think of a good reason. So he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Y'all realize what what just happened here? Because of the teachable and and the humble spirit of Philip, because of his small, seemingly insignificant steps of obedience, and then because this man, this treasurer was teachable, because he was willing to be taught by a complete stranger, his life, and consequently, his eternity will forever be impacted. What, what might change? What might change in your life if you were willing to lay aside your pride and you allowed yourself to be teachable? For, for some of you that, that are sitting here today, you need to look no further than, than this story right here. You, you show up here week to week, or, or maybe this is literally your first time walking through our doors, or... Maybe you're basically forced to show up here every once in a while, like a handful of times a year where, where, where the asking from your spouse or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or, or, or the voice from your parent just becomes like too looming and you're finally like, okay, the heck with it. I, I'm gonna come today. But, but you walk in here dead set. I, I mean, your attitude is such that you're like, I am not going to listen to a word that that guy or anybody else has to say. But meanwhile, your creator is relentlessly pursuing you quite literally dying to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is lower your guard and allow him in. He's waiting for you. Some of you, it's it's in your marriage. You're just going through the motions of marriage. You're cohabitating with one another and you're just allowing your marriage to dissolve slowly over time. 
and you need help. You you need to seek counsel from those couples that you look up to. You, You need to dive into a study together. Some of you, it's dissolved so greatly that you need professional help. You need to humble yourself and allow yourself to be teachable and go to a counselor, go to a therapist. So so many of us are so scared what what other people might think of us if if we admitted that we didn't have it all figured out in our marriages, that we didn't have it all figured out in our parenting, that we didn't have it all figured out at work. But but I have news for everyone here this morning. Uh, Guess what? We're not dumb. We know that you don't have it all figured out. And here's how we know that, because we don't have it all figured out. Nobody in this room has it completely figured out. And even more so, maybe to encourage some of you that have that thing in your mind right now where you're like, yeah, I know I need help with that, but I'm so scared to do it. Think about the times in your life when you have encountered a person that is like this level of teachable, that just like wants to soak it all in and asks more questions and follow-up questions. Isn't that a person that we universally admire? Don't we look at that person and be like, man, this is kind of refreshing, you're not trying to teach me anything in this moment. You just keep asking more questions. You, you just try to try to, to keep learning more and more. You're, you're like a sponge. You're soaking this all up. So some of you that are sitting here today, you are such a disaster financially. I mean, consumer debt is robbing you of your joy in life. And you're so scared to admit that to anybody else. And you need to seek that help. You, you're struggling in your job and you're too arrogant or you're too proud Are you too scared to to ask for help? Can can I be so bold as to say this morning that being teachable is what is standing between you putting up with life and living your best life? And and long term, there's a catch with this. Long term, I, I don't think there is any chance that any person in this room is keeping this up without a relationship with Jesus. I I think maybe in the short term, like you might be good, you can keep it up for a couple of months. You might be able to even keep it up for a year, but, but eventually your human nature and what comes so natural to every single one of us is going to take back over. This is one of those things that, that requires a constant reliance on our heavenly father, a daily submission to him. And so as we wrap this thing up this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question, where do you know it all? Where's that area that you just seem to know it all? That if we went and, you know, pulled your spouse aside and like, come on, give us the inside scoop here. Where does this person know it all? What would come out of their mouth? Where do you tend to say, I have this completely figured out? Again, for some of you, it's right here. You think you have this whole Christianity thing perfectly figured out because your college professor told you something, because your dad told you something, because your mom told you something, because that friend showed you some article that you found on Facebook. And you just know that this is this thing that has been duping people for thousands of years. And maybe right here is exactly where you need to be teachable. Some of you, it's in your job. Others of you, undoubtedly, it's in your marriage, it's in your finances, it's in your parenting. For some of you, it's in your sport. For some of you, it's in your favorite hobby. We all, every single one of us, we always have more to learn. Even in those areas where the world and the people closest to us might deem us the master. Years ago, I, I heard a talk, and I, I wish I could give credit to who it was, um, but at the end of the, the message, they, they gave the, this challenge. They asked this question, and it's something that, that stuck with me for years and years and years, and uh, it's a question that I continue to try to ask of myself. It's, what's one thing that I can take away from this interaction? What's just one thing that I can take away from this conversation? E- even in those conversations with the people that drive you nuts, 
Even into those people that, again, 10 minutes into it, you're like, yep, I'm out on this. I am ready to be done with this. What is one thing that I can take away from that conversation? What's one thing that I can take away from that interaction? And I think that you'll find, again, that what I have found is that there's always at least that one thing. That in the midst of the arrogance, in the midst of the smugness, they're still like, ah, crud, I don't want to admit it, but that's actually pretty good. Ah, dang it, that that, drives me nuts that it's coming from that person's mouth, but yeah, that would be better if I implemented that into my life. Uh, That day, again, going back to that story with um, that pastor, uh, I forced myself to ask myself this question about about a month later, so don't give me really any credit at all, because it took a while, and I said, okay, what's one thing, Shay, was there one thing that you could take away from this interaction? And one of the things that he said that day uh, is he was talking about some of the the, the poor people in his community, the people that have less than, than a lot of us that are sitting here today, and uh, and he said, man, if, if you're not serving the people that have less than you in your community, what are you doing? I mean, he's like, you, you're not following even the most basic of commandments that we find in scripture. And it was actually that conversation that spurned on me to then reach out to one of our ministry partners now, Franklin Avenue Mission. Uh, uh, an organization, a 501c3, that, that is serving the underprivileged people in, uh, in one of the poorest zip codes literally on the planet. And it was because I asked just that one question. What's one thing that I can take away from this interaction? What's one thing that I can take away from this conversation? Being teachable is what's standing between you, just putting up with life and living your best life. And I think every single one of us ought to embrace this, no matter who you are, because again, it's gonna make your life better. It's gonna make the lives around you better. So let's start asking that question, at least initially, where do I know it all? Where's that area that I just have it completely figured out? And then in every conversation that we have and every interaction that we have with other people, what's one thing that you can take away? What is one thing that maybe God is trying to teach you through that?